Hi. Um, so we are four persons here sitting together. Uh, me, Ahmed, Olivia, Ben and Esther. Me and Olivia are so happy that uh, both of you wanted to participate in this podcast and to make mine and Olivia's presentation short. We are at an internship at the non-governmental organization EXIST who works uh, trying to stop human trafficking both in Denmark and Nigeria. So um, we have Esther here who would like to tell us a bit about who she is and why she is at this nightlight cafe in the middle of the night. Yes, thank you for having me. <laughs> My name is Esther and I'm a, I have a bachelor's in anthropology from the University of Copenhagen. And I started as a volunteer here in the Nightlight Cafe in uh, September 2020 in connection to my studies, where I did a fieldwork uh, with the base from this cafe. Um, and the aim of our fieldwork was to examine uh, Nigerian women who uh, do sex work on the street of Copenhagen uh, and how they live a life as uh, believing and practicing Christians and how they connect that or like live with the, the fact that they're also doing sex work. Um, so we wanted to examine this. Uh, and then I stayed here in the cafe as a volunteer after the fieldwork was done because I ended up getting extremely passionate about this case of um, the case of human trafficking and how we can end it and also got a lot of close relationships with some of the women. Um, that I wanted to keep. Yeah. Hmm? Uh, and what about you, Ben? Who are you and why are you in this cafe with us at the middle, at the moment? Um, I'm Ben and um, I am from the United States, from Washington DC, but I am studying here for a semester. And I am here in the middle of the night because um, I just wanted to help. And I think it's a very important topic that is not addressed and talked about enough. Um, and uh, I feel like in uh, Denmark, it's a very, um, uh, it's from an American point of view, it can be seen as a like, very perfect society, like universal healthcare and all these things. There's obviously problems in society that like there are with every society. So I really wanted to see the, get an overall picture of Denmark as a whole um, and do my part to help in any way I can with, uh, with people. Yeah. Um, so we would like to say that the purpose of this whole podcast is to create an, a deba debate and try to get you to reflect on the following subjects. Uh, so the first subject here is uh, uh, the religious belief and cultural difference in Denmark and Nigeria and try to understand what makes the difference between the two countries and their culture and religious beliefs. The second subject we're going to go into is about uh, human trafficking is one of the world's fastest growing crime. And Denmark's Minister of Justice spoke in an article about Denmark not having convicted any human traffickers the past three years. The third subject we're going to be talking about is uh, many Nigerian women have the perspective of coming to Europe. Uh, it's like making it, making it in Hollywood and uh, this prestige they both want to have and uh, do pursue to tell or show their family back home in Nigeria and how their life is in Europe. Um, the fourth subject is uh, how the NGOs like EXIST tries uh, to help these women with actions like uh, EXIST does, which is building safe houses in Nigeria for women coming out of prostitution and human trafficking in Europe and returning back to Nigeria and how their lives will turn out after moving into these safe houses. Um, and let's just get started. So, uh, so to this first subject we will talk about is the religious and cultural 
cultural differences in Denmark and Nigeria and try to understand what makes the difference between the two countries and their culture and religious beliefs. We know that uh, you, Esther, have close contact with these women. Do you know if it affects these women that their beliefs uh, back home from Nigeria and now being in Denmark or other places in Europe? Um, I mean, first of all, it's like a, it's 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 an extremely big question. Uh, yeah. What are the differences between culture in Nigeria and religious beliefs, and then in Denmark? And that was that is something that I could spend my whole life uh, trying to entangle uh, mm-hmm. from an, an anthropological perspective. Mm-hmm. But to get it go shortly, um, I will start with the religious beliefs. Um, in my view and what I've experienced with these women is that they have grown up uh, in a society and in families where religion is a foundation of their life from they are very very small um, that means that they started going to church from maybe kindergarten age um, they have attended Sunday school uh, they pray with their families um, Bible study is as much a school part as uh, mathematics and and learning English and so on. So that would be my my view on the, the biggest difference is how we've grown up with religion and with, in this case, Christianity. Um, because in Denmark, it's mostly um, people will maybe say they are cultural Christians, where like we have a lot of, of Christian values that are in, in the society and in people's lives. But we, uh, a lot of people are not um, practicing a religion and they're not growing up with it like this. Uh, and then we, of course, we have um, more traditional religions in, uh, in Nigeria, such as Juju, the belief in magic and the belief in witchcraft, which is still a, a, a very broad uh, religion. And it's still practiced, uh, especially also in Edo state, where a lot of the women come from. So um, Nigeria is also to just to, to tell the listeners or you guys, but it's it's the most populous country of Africa, and it's a very big country. So to cut like um, or to, to just say that religious belief is like this in Nigeria or culture is this in Nigeria is. It's not possible to say because there's so many people and so different. Um, so that's just to get that out of the way. But um, but when it's also such a big country and when it's also have a very complicated long history with a lot of different tribes, a lot of different ethnicities and different languages and thereby different cultures, um, that's also a big uh, difference to the Danish very homogenous society where we have a lot of eth- ethnic homogeneous people and uh, and mostly just one religion, so to speak. So I think there's a lot of differences between the two countries, mm-hmm. uh, to put it shortly. Um, and I think a lot of when I've talked to the women, um, they see Denmark not, not as much as a country where they wanted to live, but more as a country where they want to work for a short time and then go somewhere else where they can like live the way they want to live um, so i think they they find themselves as a little bit of a uh, different here they don't they don't see themselves as like living actually living here but they are here temporarily um, yeah 
How long time will they be here in Denmark? I mean, usually. Practically, they can be here around three months um, at a time because they get a tourist visa, visa, um, and then a lot of the time they don't have the the legal access to actually work, but they will, of course, do it anyway. Um, but it's it's few of the Nigerian women who sell sex in Denmark that will end up staying. Also because we have a very strict immigration policy and so on, so it's very hard to get Danish citizenship. Um, yeah, so therefore a lot of the women actually go to Spain or Italy, uh, where it's a little bit easier, and then they they end up getting a citizenship there and maybe actually end up moving there with also bringing their families there and so on and start the, like a real life kind of so for most women Denmark is like a transit place for work yeah do you have like a feeling about the women do they want to be here if they had more longer time or would they be in another country you know i mean just to draw on what I I talked to one of my friends, one of the women uh, about was, she said with, with her girlfriends also backing it up that Denmark is boring, mm. that nothing fun is happening. Mm. Uh, I think they find it way too cold, they find people a little bit too close off, they they really enjoy the nightlife in Nigeria, the open-mindedness, the social life and like going to bars and so I i think no i don't think they would want to stay they would those i have met anyway don't feel comfortable like like that yeah one point i just wanted to add was um some of uh some of the women that uh, i've met um they actually do uh enjoy denmark quite a bit mainly because at least comparatively to italy um a bunch of them had just come from italy like a month or two ago and they were loving Denmark because in Italy no one speaks English. Mm-hmm. They um even if they do are able to, they kind of refuse to a lot of the time. Um and it was very hard for them to get work or just move to places, um and just move around. But when they came here everybody speaks English and everyone's pretty nice they said. So they were really enjoying um being here. Mm-hmm. And they went back to Italy but they really wanted to come back. Um with some of the women I was talking to. And then to add on to your uh, your previous point about uh, religion, um, I think especially this uh, church and what we do is important for the women because um, it's comforting for them to be here. Uh, the women I've talked to, like when we give them a Bible or something, they're very immersed in it and very uh, um, very like uh, enjoying themselves and comforted by reading uh, Bible verses and um, a lot of times they ask if they can keep a Bible and um, and sometimes we give them them and uh, I think being here is very um, comforting and shows how important religion is mm-hmm. to those women mm-hmm. yeah and I, yeah I want to add from what I said before that um, of course they, sometimes if I talk to, to the women about Denmark versus Nigeria, they would often say that Nigeria is more fun, but Denmark is way more accessible or like that you know you have electricity every day, you know you have water, you know you have uh, streets that are you can you are able to drive on a street, it's not that's not bumpy roads, like there's not corruption 
anyway, not that as much as there is in Nigeria. So that's also something they highlighted that they loved about Denmark. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think we should move on to the next one. Yeah. Sure. Um, so we came to the about this. You guys know about the human trafficking is one of the worst, fastest growing crime in the world. And uh, Denmark's Minister of Justice spoke in an article about Denmark not having convicted any human traffickers the past three years. And I just want to hear what you guys think about that, your thoughts about that. One thing I will say is that it's a very uh, complicated topic and probably one of the reasons that uh, they haven't convicted human traffickers mm -hmm. is because it's very hard to convict human traffickers mm -hmm. because um, to define what human trafficking is is a very hard thing to do because it's such a convoluted and comp complicated topic because um, uh, in some in some instances it can be very violent it can be either sexual or labor focused um, but also a lot uh, sometimes it can also be uh, consensual like in the sense that people want to be uh, those places and like they want to come for a better life and a lot of times it ha what happens is they come because they want a better life and they get trapped and it becomes really bad for them but um, arguments that are given are like, um, oh, uh, I was helping these people. I wa um, they wanted to come, and the, the people who are victims um, insist on it. And they're also a lot of times afraid to speak. Um, it's very hard to have people speak and trust the police and have witnesses, and they refuse to because they're afraid of the traffickers and what's at risk for them and their families back home. So it can be very hard to... Prosecutes, prosecute such a complicated topic that you can't really have a definition for because it's such a wide range of things. So. Hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. It's extremely complicated, both for the victims that, as you said, will often not speak up. As when I say often, I mean maybe in 99.8% of the time because both, it could be both because they actually thought, they think this person has helped them to receive what they wanted, which was a pass to Europe, or because they are very, very afraid what will happen if they uh, tell the police about this person, um, mm. this trafficker uh, person. So, um, yeah, but, but uh, I actually don't know what, how, how it is in other countries, if other countries have prosecuted more traffickers than Denmark. But that would be interesting to see if it's actually possible for some. Um, and then if it is, I think it's it's not good enough that we mm. that we are not doing more in Denmark. Uh, and I'm not 100% sure, I'm not well versed on it, but um, a lot of these human trafficking networks are international, mm. um, as like the women are going from Italy to Spain to Denmark or to Nigeria. It's a very international thing. Um, and probably a lot of these cases have to do, um, have international policy involved. And the problem is with human trafficking is that the um, the definition of what human trafficking is or like what human smuggling is, is very different in every country. Mm -hmm. So it's a very hard thing to um, prosecute because to have a consensus on what exactly it is, is so difficult. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so maybe what would be needed was a bigger um, co... What's that word? Consensus. Yeah, consensus, but also working together, the different countries, like cross borders. Yeah, yeah. In more international um, agreements yeah. or 
Collaboration. Collaboration. Thank you. So there, <laughs> there is um, a yeah. the the Palermo protocol, the Palermo mm. protocol. Yeah. There is the Palermo protocol, but um, at least I don't believe it does enough because it also doesn't hold countries accountable for doing. They all signed up for it because it, it looks good, um, mm. and that's what happens. What's a problem with so many politicians is that like the um, uh, politicians use the words human trafficking and modern slavery hand in hand. And um, which are different, and but they use modern slavery because it's more appealing to the public. It's like, oh, we want to end modern slavery. It just sounds better because you think of slavery in the past, and people don't understand it's not the same thing, and all these things. And um, so it's the same idea of like signing onto the Palermo Protocol. Um, it's to sometimes it's just to look good. Like they want to like look good and be like, oh, we're following the path of everybody else. But there's nothing to hold on any of these countries accountable to actually prosecute traffickers and um, follow up on these actions. So there should be uh, an accountability protocol. It should be like an organization that follows this to keep countries in check because, yeah. And I think also one big issue about this is, is I mean, to prosecute the traffickers is of course an extremely important part, but I think we should also look at what are the root for people even being trafficked, like, as you also said, wanting to be trafficked, wanting to move, um, what what is this inequality we have internationally, also from from this case of Nigeria to Europe? Um, why is there so many of these young women actually in, end up traveling to Europe and selling sex or doing other kind of uh, very socially, economically low uh, kind of job or tasks? Um, so, so I think that that part is is equally as important as prosecuting traffickers because there will if if it if it's true that this is the most the most growing mm. um, yeah thing yeah criminal well, yeah, crime crime yeah. yeah most growing crime uh, worldwide then there must be a reason right there must be a root to this issue there must be. I mean, it won't it won't stop if you prosecute. Uh, then there will come others. So, yeah, I think, I, and I, I, I don't, of course, have a solution to that because how can we end corruption and poverty in Nigeria? We can't just do that. But it's just very important to examine this and understand it. Um, yeah, and I think, um, at least not maybe not from the sex trafficking standpoint, but from the labor trafficking standpoint, because that's all human trafficking. Um, uh, a big problem uh, with like trying to find the root of it is capitalism. The world uh, thrives on capitalism, beating out the other person, trying to have the best company, the best corporation. And um, a lot of big companies uh, use like sweatshops and um, use uh, try to have the biggest margin of profit so that they can have the gain the most money, be the most successful business. So they try to have pay the workers the least amount. So like in uh, a lot of Southeast Asian countries, there's like in like Bangladesh, China, Pakistan, there's all these like uh, people who are uh, trafficked, human trafficked and um, work in you know, horrible conditions uh, because the factories want to have the business mm. of the um, companies. And so they want to be the most appealing. So the whole capitalistic standpoint can be uh, a very um, endemic thing for uh, 
human trafficking, and that's probably a big problem and probably won't ever be uh, solved because of that, because capitalism is too big of a thing. But there are obviously ways to minimize human trafficking in many different ways with labor trafficking, sex trafficking. So. Mm, yeah. So the solution should be to just end capitalism. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Easy, easy. Yeah. Do you have any questions? No. no. All right. Uh, moving on to the next subject. Um, so many Nigerian women have the perspective of coming to Europe. It's like making it in Hollywood uh, and this prestige that follows. They both want to have a pursuit um, to tell or show their family home back in Nigeria, how the life is in Europe. And as I'm thinking really about you now because you are, you have close contact to these women, so I don't know if you see any what do we, what do we call it similarities or anything that shows that this is actually how it is. Mm. Oh, I may be wrong. So no, I, I I think it's it's not wrong at all. Um, there is a big, I mean, the, the, there is both the big um, the many ideas they they told me that they had before uh, actually coming here. Mm. Um, and there's a, like a saying in, in, in Nigeria that Europe is the, the land of milk and honey that is also like kind of a biblical reference to the land of Israel yeah mm-hmm. so so this this idea that it's a, it's a it's a land full of opportunities and it's a place where you will never go to bed hungry and you will have op- yeah, opportunities for, mm-hmm. for, for different things so so that's that's the one part and then I think one of the very actually tragic tragic um, things is that when they arrive here and they they see that yes there are opportunities but maybe not for them but maybe for for the people who are born here and have citizenship and have uh, the access to education have the access to all these goods that our society come with now I'm speaking about Denmark in particular um, then it's very hard to um, for them to tell this reality to their families. Um, so there's, there's a big issue with this of upholding um, the, the image of, of them making it in Europe. And I think it's, it's, it's right of you to say it like that. Um, and that there is, I mean, I think it's, 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 it's both ways because they also do think, a lot of them, that it is more, is it, that, it, that it is better to be here. Um, at least those I have spoken to was, was were all very sure that they would rather like die in Europe than go back uh, mm-hmm. to Nigeria. So, and when they when they when I asked like why that's really harsh that's that's crazy but they still think it's. I mean, I think they they find their their country way too spoiled, to be honest. By corrupt politicians. I mean, that was anyway what I talked to them about a lot. That they were really concerned about corruption and um, people not having the rights they deserve in the country and people not having the just primary the primary needs fulfilled uh, due to bad leadership. Uh, so so. But to go back to <laughs> to the thing about about prestige, I. I, um, I, I, I think it's it's a big issue and it's 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 creating a very um, unequal uh, kind of 
situation where the families at home or people at home, also the women before they came here, have a certain idea of, about Europe, mm-hmm. and the people and when they are here, they see the realities um, of going to the street every night, um, maybe not having enough for rent or food the next few the last few weeks of the month or you you know whatever. Um, but never telling those back home because it's also shameful not to be the breadwinner, not to be able to be the breadwinner of the family. Um, so I and I think if you should look at it more like from a bird's bird's view perspective, perspective um, this can create even more of the trafficking because if if nobody ever tell how the reality is then even more girls will see, oh yeah, yeah, it's so good in Europe, we'll, we'll also go, right? So that's also why I think um, Exist is doing a great job at um, helping MECAT, who is a, which is an organization in Nigeria, working with media, um, like knowledge about sex trafficking and knowledge about what actually happens to a lot of these women in Europe. Um, with different films and uh, educational material for schools, um, so I think it. The, I think it is a big part of the issue, actually. Mm. Yeah. yeah. You have some encounters with some of the Nigerian women as well. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to add was that um, I think with the whole uh, prestige thing of Europe, um, I think it'd be very dangerous because um, that's what gets the women to come in the first place. And um, that's what leads to them being uh, sex trafficked a lot of the time because they have the appeal of wanting to come to Europe. And coming to Europe is always not the safest thing. It's not usually by, sometimes it is, maybe sometimes they'll be by flight, like taking a plane to Spain. But a lot of times they have to walk through the desert, like the Sahara, and people die on the way, or they take a boat and cross the Mediterranean, and it's a little boat that people drown. It's not safe to A, a come across. And B, when they get here, they are promised to be, oh, I'm going to be a maid or I'm going to be um, uh, just working a, a normal job. They start to become sex trafficked, and, um, but they still want to be here. And they're doing everything they can to be here and support themselves to be here because they want their families to come. And they're so – and a lot of times it can be um, uh, very psychologically manipulative um, and – because uh, they're very hung up on the idea of being here and not realizing sometimes uh, that the people that they're uh, associated with are bad and treating them bad, and they just want so badly to be in Europe. Um, and so this prestige thing and this like um, aura around Europe can be a very dangerous thing. And uh, with the women I've talked to, it's they all speak incredibly fondly of Europe. and. They talk about Nigeria in like a, a pleasant way, but not in a way that they like miss miss uh, Nigeria. It's just like, um, yeah, it's just really just about how much they love Europe and think Europe's amazing. Um, so yeah. So just to sum it up, as you you talked a little bit about in Nigeria, uh, we have these uh, safe houses and all that, but how will you get to the root cause? And to get the women to know Europe is not this great place you think it is, should yeah, just to like do quick. What would what is the 
I mean, that was what I, I meant about MeCat, the, mm. the organization that that I think I've I've I've, I've have, I'm having a little bit of a hard time finding the words in English, mm. but they are they are like putting out videos and video material outreach. and yeah, they're doing outreach um, to show school kids and uh, school girls um, and young girls in different villages, different cities, different schools that what is the reality, what can be the reality of uh, getting a trafficker and co- going to Europe. Um, and I think the outreach program is a really important part of Forbygge? Um, Prevent. Prevention. <laughs> Thank you. Um, preventing this. Uh, but yeah, do you have anything like to add? Yeah, um, I think that um, Europe can be an amazing place with a lot of opportunities, especially uh, for people who may be in uh, places that the infrastructure is not as good and there's a lot of corruption mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but it's the way that people get here and the people that they are with, you know, um, and um, uh, with your point about outreach and um, through the community, I think it's a very important point um, to for people to understand and to see the signs of um, recognize the signs of like who is probably someone they should not interact with and why it, they should not pay someone uh, to be brought to Europe and like a certain pe- person to be associated with because what the risk factors are to come here mm-hmm. um, and uh, what can be involved with what's happening like if someone they promise you that you will be in a certain job it may not always be that and to because um, some women may still want to come they may still be like I'm still going to come I'm going to deal with these consequences still want to come but at least people know and recognize it because most of the time they don't and then they're yeah. you know, stuck and there a lot of the times it's um, debt bondage and a lot mm. of women are stuck here because they either owe a debt to the traffickers the people they were um, loaned money from back in Nigeria and they have to pay thousands of dollars but they don't all you a lot of times get all the money that they make on the streets. It's the, mm. the pimp and the madame make like at least 50% of the money. And so they have to still have pay for rent while they're here and pay for food. And then they can also save up to the money from the, the debt. Yeah, um, and send money back home as well. Yeah, and send money back home. So it Remitation. takes them forever and, and it traps them here. It's entrapment mm-hmm. in, in a yeah, sense. Exactly, and that's also where the complication of the human trafficking as a, as a as a term comes into place, right? Because um, even the women who know what they are about to do, they know that they're going to sell sex, for example, and they still agree to it and they still uh, go, they, will, they can still be under the term of human trafficking if they end up in this debt bondage, as you call it, like this entanglement of a whole life of debt and actually not being able to go get out of it. Mm. So that was just to to get an example of how the term can be so different. That mm. would that was that would not be what we would expect a human trafficked person to look like. Well, yeah. Mm. And well, just one last point. I think that um, a little bit of a side note, but um, it's also so hard for women to um, at least identify themselves as being victims of trafficking and not be prosecuted themselves. Um, because uh, uh, especially in Denmark, there's a, a thing called a T visa, 
um, where if you can um, identify yourself, uh, and other countries too, if you can identify yourself as being um, uh, trafficked, um, you can, um, uh, or this might be in the, I think this is in Denmark or the States or both, but you, uh, you can get a visa to be here for a certain amount of time um, and help yourself get through the process and be more comfortable here and get out of human trafficking. But uh, it's a very arduous process that has a lot, a lot of paperwork. And I've seen the paperwork before, and it's very complicated. You need lawyers to help you with it, which women, most uh, women in sex trafficking can't afford. And um, or it's very complicated to uh, to even understand and have the time to do it, uh, and to be identified as a person who's been trafficked, it's very strict. Like a lot of times, they don't give out the visas, so um, it can be a very complicated thing to even be identified as someone who's trafficked even mm-hmm. um, no matter what so yeah but in Denmark it's not I I don't know if you just use the word visa but it, it's not you can't get like permission to stay if you are identified as a victim of human trafficking but you can I mean you get a permission to stay for I think it's half a year and then it can be prolonged to one year um, but it's uh, it's what they call um Voluntary uh, prepared um, home sending, privately forbereit hjemsendelse. Yeah, so uh, it's voluntary in quotation marks because, I mean, it's either that or going to prison basically. Yeah, okay. But I mean, it is it is not voluntary. They have to go home. There, no person have ever been granted uh, asylum in Denmark for uh, after being identified as a uh, victim of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. So. So uh, and and what from I what from what I know, um, uh, you they will get uh, all the lawyer and all that they will get, they will get for free because mm-hmm. if they are identified. So if there's a lot of paperwork and stuff like that, will, they will be helped. Um, and it's it's not a, a, I wouldn't say it's a very efficient and very good or, or nice process, but there is help to get. the The issue mostly is that. There is not a lot of help to get when they get sent home. Uh, like there's no um, aftercare of these women. How can they build a foundation of, of like a living foundation back in Nigeria when they get back, mm. uh, start a life over again, or that will not end up in sex work again, or maybe get the traffic back. So that's like the biggest issue I see anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And um. Uh, I misspoke. It was it's only the T visa specifically is a, a, a United States thing, mm, okay. but it's um, uh, a very complicated process, and that um, there are not a lot that are given out. They have like, a certain amount each year that they can give out. It's like five hundred to a um, thousand, but they only give out like two hundred, and that's um, also a, just a certain amount of stay for people to transition and go back to their home country or. It's like a transitional period to be uh, safe in that country. Mm-hmm. And one point I want to add from something that you said that um, to be identified as being trafficked, you also have to admit, like uh, tell the police about the traffickers. And like how we talked about before, a lot like 99.8% of the women won't talk and they're afraid to talk. So that's the first barrier you have to get by, which many women won't. And if they refuse to, selling sex is illegal. So 
they themselves can very easily be prosecuted. Mm. And it's an easy, like, for uh, uh, an attorney, it's an easy uh, prosecution for them. You know, it's an easy, like, putting someone in prison. Mm. Even though they're not doing it because they want to. It's not a consensual thing. They're being forced to do this. But they are not going to admit that they are being trafficked and someone else is involved because they're more worried about that because what's going to happen to their family back home or just what's going to happen to them because of the trafficker. So the first step is to for them to say something, which is very rare, and they have to go through all this paperwork that's very complicated and need lawyers, which is very complicated. So it's a very hard process to go through. And even then, they may not be... Um, identified as a person who's been trafficked. And the worst part of the T visa, at least in the US, is that it ha- you have to be qualified, you get qualified by it being a severe form of human trafficking. Mm. So it's completely on the judgment of the judge or the, uh, the prosecutor, it's completely on their judgment, each single person, how severe was the human trafficking, which is a very messed up thing to think about, mm. that someone's case and what they've experienced Someone on the outside can judge that as being severe or non-severe, and they've never been through anything of the sort. So mm-hmm. it's a very long process that like rarely happens. So it's a very like there's so much maltreatment of mm-hmm. victims of trafficking in the world, and so much wrongdoings for them, and there's not nearly enough infrastructure to be uh, that's been had for helping uh, these people, and there's so much more to do. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so to the last subject, it's uh, you were in it a bit, Esther, um, about the NGOs like Exist who tries to help these women with actions, like Exist does, with uh, which is like building these safe houses in Nigeria, and uh, for women coming out of this prostitution and human trafficking in Europe, and then returning back to Nigeria, and how their lives will turn out after moving in to these safe houses. So what what are you guys thought about that? You were in about it saying that when they get back, they usually get flown back to then Europe or wherever. Yeah. Mm. It often happens in a way that if you get sent home, uh, even as an like an as an identified uh, victim of human trafficking, you will likely get uh, fall back into into sex work and also into to get into trafficking again um, but uh, but about about the NGOs and what work they and we are doing I think I mean that's also a big, big and complicated uh, situation or issue and uh, not issue but like map of mm. what the NGOs do and what the political structure is and how uh, state and NGOs work together or apart um, and I think the I think that because human trafficking is so because okay let me start over because the women are also doing something that is actually illegal uh, a lot of the time then it's very hard to get a lot of state funding uh, to this issue because why would you wanna uh, help someone doing something that they shouldn't do and also. Um, in the case of Denmark, we, the state don't really want a lot of uh, immigrants, uh, like in general, um, 
so how why would we want to help and make their lives more easy more uh, nice um, more enjoyable when we actually want them to leave so there's there are a lot of these political issues i think that that are making it very difficult to grant these women the uh, the life that they deserve and the help they deserve um, and therefore that's when the ngos come into the picture um, and i remember Karin also said some of some other day that uh, as an NGO you also kind of have to be a little bit under the radar in this case of of human trafficking and sex work and the Nigerian women um, because of these illegal activities and because that if you are under the radar and you are kind of working in the dark working in the night as we are doing it's most mostly seen as the work of um, someone who are doing humanitarian aid uh, and who could blame that, right? Mm. Like that's something that offering a toast, offering a hug, offering a, a conversation at eye level is not something anyone could condemn. Uh, but if you start um, working more politically or start housing them or start um, maybe making like more legal help or other things, then it would maybe start being a problem. Uh, yeah, but and one thing I wanted to um, add on to that is um, the new policies that are implemented this year by the Danish government and the I'm gonna butcher the name, the Danish Institute Refugee Council, whatever mm-hmm. it's called. Um, they, with the relationship with the NGOs. The NGOs used to have a say in the policies that are being made and um, what is defined as someone who's a, a victim of trafficking and helping to advocate for that person who's uh, a victim of trafficking. But now there's um, the Danish government cut off all NGOs to be able to have a relationship with that and be able to help identify someone as a victim of trafficking. Um, and so um, there's another um, uh, NGO here called Hope Now. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Heard it, but Hope Now used to have a close relationship with the Danish government and help identify victims of trafficking and advocate for the victims of trafficking. But now they're not allowed to. And now they don't have a say in anything. And so the relationship is very like strained at the moment between NGOs and the government, and which it shouldn't be because the NGOs are the ones who are on site seeing these things hand, firsthand while the government is just in the background. And they don't have their, it's like a complete third person party, you know, it's like a third party. And um, so the fact that they are the ones judging purely themselves is a quite messed up thing, Mm. I think. Yeah, I think you're very right. I mean, the NGOs are the ones actually on the ground, sort Mm. of, and having actual uh, relations and relationships with these these human beings um, that the issue is about and Michelle Mildwater who is the, the founder and the, I mean the CEO of, of Hope Now uh, which who we also talked about when we did the field work and did an interview with her I mean the whole process of identifying uh, victims of human trafficking she also talked about that and how much she's a part, had, had been a part of that um, and how much easier it made her part of the table that she had such close relationship with these women and mm-hmm. she also had such a big trust from them um, 
because that's a huge part of even getting to these uh, women who are in this situation to speak, uh, especially when you're an authority. So I think the that's a I didn't actually know that this reform of this law has been passed because I think that's outrageous, <laughs> um, and I think it will do a lot of harm to the victims because it's easier and it's more. It feels more safe for them. That was what Michelle told anyway. That they can meet someone they trust, and they can they can speak more freely than if it's just an an officer or someone from the state coming, not actually knowing about their lives. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm? Yeah. Um, that was all our questions. Do you have anything else you want to add, Ben Lester? Maybe Olivia. No. Well, we want to say. Yeah, I think just to sum it up, so we could just sum it up for our last couple of minutes, I should say, (laughs) a lot of minutes. But uh, Ben, you talked about uh, the countries in Europe that we have to be able to hold someone accountable. Like you said, the Palermo Protocol. It's not enough just to say it's like a cover up. For saying okay, we we're doing this with the Palermo Protocol, but we need to be able to help countries accountable, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, we also talked about with um, you, Esther. You said the women they would rather die here in Europe than go back to Nigeria um, because they feel it's, they feel so shameful to go back instead of. Yeah, go back to their families because some of them, I would think, maybe missed their family and all that. Yeah, and yeah. also to, just to add, if mm-hmm. I can, sorry, but to add that to that, um, it's also because, as somebody anyway told me, like mm-hmm. they don't see any prospect in their lives back in Nigeria. They don't see any future. They don't see, I mean, even if they have had gotten an education, the whole system is so broken that it's hard to even find a job or hard to even find a, a salary that can let you live. So it's also this about here there are opportunities. They might be really it might be a hard life, but there are opportunities to bread to be the breadwinner. Mm. But back home, they themselves don't see any future. Mm. So that's often the the situation, and that's where. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, now I'm starting talking again, but that's where I also think is uh, important work that the NGOs come into the picture because uh, the, the work that exists does in, in Nigeria, for example, uh, mm-hmm. with giving um, women who are, went out of prostitution, giving them courses in, uh, in livelihood, like uh, getting different skills of, for example, um, farming and then selling on the market, stuff like that, so they can upkeep themselves. Which is very important. Exactly, it's like a chain. Yeah, you, you really you really can't just say, oh, now you're out of prostitution. Mm, Go exactly. live your life. You yeah. have to get you have to get give people some something to mm. work with, right? Mm. Exactly. Yeah, but I think it's, it was a good point you you came with here, Ben, with the the what's it called the no the last thing Ben said uh, with um. the. The reform, not the reform, but the new, the new, new policies. Policy, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That that was uh, 
There, yeah, there has to be a uh, close relationship with um, exactly. the NGOs I think that's a good point also, yeah. Yeah, and there has to be um, transparency. Yeah. But there isn't at all. Exactly. Um, and the, the culture around it is very not, is not, is not good. It's, yeah. And we also talked about getting into the root cause, why the women are actually here, because why do they feel like it's such a prestige to be here? And maybe it's just prosecuting in countries is not just only saying okay we need to have rules and we need to punish people but it's rather just to go down to the root cause okay maybe it's something wrong in Nigeria somewhere with the the way they see Europe or other places mm. am I right mm-hmm. yeah you're <laughs> right and the way their political and economic infrastructure is Exactly, yeah. I mean, who, who can just change that? But yeah. it's important to look at that as a rule. Yeah, exactly. Course, yeah. But I think that was like kind of the, the main topics that we got around. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But thank you so much for coming here. Yeah, really. It was really nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you so much. It was yeah. some really, really interesting questions. Yeah, very good so question. Much. It was. It was a very enjoyable conversation. Yeah. Thank you, guys.